So things got weird. The Edmonton Oilers went five out of five. The Devils failed to even get past the gate. After Tampa popped by, Mike Babcock needed a family discussion and a guy called Alien Pope made the headlines with his Church of Pedersen. But a bunch of cool stuff happened this week too. Patrick Marlowe, Capo Caco, Tukarask, Patrick Laine and Phil Kessel had a good week and smiles on their faces. So welcome to Season 2, Episode 3 of NHL Fans from Afar, where today we talk Canes and who's hot and who's not when it comes to goalies. So I'm going to jump straight in here and I'm going to put our guests on the spot right now, okay? With no preparation and uh, just hope that they might not be vegetarian. Um, Rob McGregor, (laughs) do you like hot dogs? Yes. Do do you mustard and ketchup or naked kind of guy? Uh, Just ketchup, not a big fan of mustard. Okay, Paul, Paul Lawson, are you a fan of hot dogs? I am, yes. Would you eat two hot dogs before an ice hockey game? Would you maybe eat three hot dogs before an ice hockey game? I could say I've done that in the past before playing. (laughs) It it feels quite excessive, doesn't it? To eat not just one, not just two, but three hot dogs. But I was reading, uh, you know, we'll get into the serious hockey in a moment, but... I did chuckle this week when I read um, some press for Detroit Red Wings where their boss, Jeff, is it Blazehill or Blazehill? I never know how to say his name. Uh, Blashill, I think. I Blash. Think. Blashill. Blashill, I think yeah. it is. We'll just make it up, right? Yeah, our pronunciation has never been my strong point. So No, no, we <laughs> could just claim that we're not from their country, so it's uh, not our native language. But it, I saw like some, some uh, a little kind of snapshot on Twitter that said the secret for them to finally winning a game was that they switched from eating two to three hot dogs (laughs) pre-game. So, I mean, anything anything that that works, why why not? And I imagine that if you were uh, a fan of New York Devils, you'd probably be hoping that a few of their team and management might be doing the same. Uh, As poor Jack Hughes hasn't even managed to have a chance to get a goal um, which is a is a big shame. So hot dogs could be the answer. The other thing as well that um, <laughs> that that made me chuckle was Philadelphia Flyers put out this thing of um, Did you see this? The dismantling room, also known as the rage room. I don't know if you guys saw this. Um, yeah, I did. I did. Well, the the rage room. It looked like somewhere that I really wanted to be yesterday, when my computer wasn't working, <laughs> when my microphone wasn't working, and life was not working. And I'm negotiating a house sale at the moment, and I really needed that rage room. I mean, I do kind of question whether there's bad luck with this because they basically created this room where fans can go and let off some of their game day stress, and you get to wear like uh, goggles and a helmet, and you just get to basically smash the crap out of. Of TVs and mirrors and everything. I mean, I th- isn't isn't it like the most Philadelphia Flyers thing 
to have a rage room though in the arena like that. I, I, just the whole Broad Street bullies thing that that still hangs around. It just they're they're all Boston, I guess Boston maybe, but it just seems so very so very Flyers. I love it. I want. I one. do. Oh yeah. I need to buy a house big enough that I can just have a room <laughs> called the Rage Room where I just put on an orange suit dressed like Gritty and go smash stuff up. <laughs> Whatever gets us through, right? So Absolutely. Right, well, uh, obviously we are here to talk hockey. Um, I guess it might be fair if you guys kind of introduce yourselves. Rob, you've got many hats that you wear from the Elite League to your one puck short to the teams that you lead towards to goalies. How on earth do you describe your NHL tendencies to a stranger? Uh, well, I guess these days it's it's mainly the one puck short blog and hopefully soon podcast again. Maybe after after my holiday coming up, I'll, I'll resurrect that as well. But certainly the blog, I've done a couple of things on uh, as, as the new season started. Um, still have some involvement with Ingol Magazine as well, though at the moment most of the Ingol stuff is, is related to their own podcast, which is excellent. Check it out if you're a, a fan of goalies in any way, shape or form. Uh, as you mentioned in in a past life, I worked with the the Elite League here in the UK as well. Uh, but yeah, just uh, just a passionate enthusiast with a, a blog and a microphone again at the moment. <laughs> and we're talking goalies with you in a little bit because I know it's a topic that you're well into. Mm. So that's going to be cool, <laughs> Paul. Um, you were on the podcast last year. We were connected to you via Twitter. And the next thing we know, as always seems to happen with you, you end up making friends via Twitter who also like hockey. But for people who um, are new to the podcast, just bring us up to speed with how on earth it is that you came to become a Carolina Hurricanes fan and some of the places it's taking you as well. Yeah, well, um, it all started back in 1992, I think, when I had my <coughs> Sega Mega Drive and I... I bought the NHLPA 93 game. I had to choose a team, so I chose the Hartford Whalers because my granddad had a, a brother, one of my great uncles had moved there back in the 70s, and I just kind of stuck with that team until they moved in 97 down to um, North Carolina. And even when they really sucked, I stuck with them. <laughs> and... Uh, yeah, I've still been a pretty big fan. To um, yeah, I've been over a few times. Uh, my first trip over, um, we were on a family vacation in uh, Florida. Sorry, holiday. And um, the father-in-law, brother-in-law, and I flew up to North Carolina for the home opener against Tampa Bay. Um, so that was a, a my first. Uh, well, it wasn't my first NHL game, but it was my first. Caroline Hurricanes game uh, I lost to Tampa Bay then the next time I went was 2015 to play in a charity alumni game um, with some ex-Hurricanes players in a year to do the same when it was the Stanley Cup 10 year anniversary so the guys that were playing in that game were the Stanley Cup winners of 2006. I love how casual um, that you just say that, Paul. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, you know, I, I, <laughs> I just popped over and, you know, just uh, met up with some of the guys. I mean, it's a crazy way how you kind of got, you know, got to meet these guys and play with them and be featured yeah, by the club. 
You're just a guy from Scotland, right? Just an ordinary yeah, guy. Just an ordinary guy that works in a factory that goes and lives the dream, I suppose, yeah. No, it's great. I've, I've also done a, a Keynes road trip and uh, went over to New York for my 40th and um, we tied it in with a, a game in uh, New Jersey. I uh, watched the Keynes beat New Jersey and, and the Prue. Um, met up with some friends. Some friends had come down from Connecticut, some friends up from um, North Carolina. We all hung out again. It was pretty cool. Um, I had friends in the, from my, my two alumni game stints um, made some friends with the media staff and was able to speak to them and got my kid down to get his Sebastian Ajo jersey signed by the man himself and meet some of the other players after the game. So well, it's, it's been it's been pretty good to me, the old, uh, the old Carolina Hurricanes fandom. I love that, really. I mean, that's... That's essentially what we've kind of set out to do with this podcast because there there are so many different podcasts that will get more into um, the analysis side. They will pick apart and and go into much more detail. But the, our, the aim of our podcast really was to um, kind of connect with, with ordinary fans, really, who just have a passion for the sport and they may not know all the detail and the ins and outs and the rules and, and all that kind of the history of it, but they just kind of love it and are just seeing where it's taking them. And so I find it really interesting as, as you know, like seven years ago, I started out as someone who started watching hockey in my bedroom, um, having been to a couple of games in the UK. And I just kind of worked out the rules for myself and then kind of started going to see more games. And it just you know, turn into a much bigger thing. Um, I do really like the way that the sport kind of brings people together in that sense, like the community sense. Um, it, it's really, really interesting. Um, let's just kind of look at where we are in the season at the moment, because if we just kind of bring people up to speed with Carolina Hurricanes, a cracking start to this season and not a bad end to last season as well, just kind of set the scene for us, Paul, and, and what the picture is right now. Um, everything's looking great in, uh, in Raleigh just now. I mean, um, we went deeper into the playoffs than I thought we would, um, given how young the team was last year. Um, sweeping the New York Islanders was a was a surprise. The games were a lot closer than the, the scoring <laughs> suggested. And a few, well, at least three of those games could have went either way, um, being perfectly honest. And then getting swept ourselves by Boston... Um, the team I probably hate the most in NHL. Um, <laughs> Who uh, likes them? Who honestly likes them? Are the, like half my friends that go to five Flyers games that like chirping me still about it. <laughs> oh well, five that, that yeah. If you're a five Flyers fan, you're gonna be a Boston Bruins or a Philadelphia Flyers fan, surely. Yeah. It's that kind uh, of mentality. Uh, there's a lot of a lot of Leafs fans, a lot of Rangers fans. Um, I have seen one other guy wearing a, a Canes jersey, um, but our paths haven't crossed yet, but that might happen. <laughs> but but so far this year, it's been great. Um, Don Waddell, the GM, did spectacularly well in the off-season with uh, his acquisitions and his trades. Um, the players who seem to have picked up in the draft um, look great. Ryan, Ryan Suzuki in the first round. Um, played a couple of games pre-season before going back to his OHL team uh, in Bari. Um, 
really pleased with the, with the acquisitions we've made. Jake Gardner coming in on the blue line, trading Justin Falk was he's been on the trading block rumor uh, rumor mill for um, the last couple of seasons, and I was actually surprised that they traded him. Uh, he went to the Blues in exchange for um, Joel Edmondson, who seems to have come in and and been pretty steady at the back. So we've we've gotten rid of a an offensive defenceman uh, uh, and brought in a sort of stay-at-home defenceman, which I kind of think we needed. Um, but so far this season, uh, five and one start, um, best in the franchise history, even going back to the Hartford days. Um, couldn't ask for much more. Um, Dougie Hamilton, notoriously slow starter in the seasons. I think he's done three or four goals already from the blue line. Um, Sebastian Aho with his uh, big contract extension after the the offer sheet from Montreal. Um, that was a hilarious few days um, on Twitter reading all about that. I just I got to say actually I was catching up on some of the highlights um, in preparation like for this podcast actually I thought I'm going to sit down and watch a, a bit of um, the highlights for Kane so far this season I, I ended up um, watching most of the highlights for the game the other day of uh, against Florida Panthers. And yeah. um, I mean, that was a really exciting game. Uh, Canes won 6-3. Um, but I mean, it was a really dominant first period. Uh, Bobrovsky was uh, in net to start with. Um, and it made me chuckle, actually. I wrote down what the, um, the uh, announcer said. I'd never heard anyone, uh, a commentator say this. He said, for the love of rubber boots and cabbage rolls, it's for nothing. Like, what does that even mean? <laughs> it must be a Florida thing. It For the love of rubber boots and cabbage rolls. I feel like I need to put that phrase somewhere in my day-to-day life. Um, anyway, uh, they obviously took Bobrovsky out the net to spare him of the embarrassment. Um, uh, but I thought your man, James Reimer, um, was fantastic. I mean, we know him from Toronto Maple Leafs. But he, I just thought he was absolutely phenomenal because Panthers kind of woke up in the second period and gave it everything that they could and, and clawed three back. Um, they almost had a chance to kind of do a proper come from behind, um, you know, catch catch them up. But I, I thought it was a really, really exciting game and it showed how much depth that you had as well. You seem like a really rounded team. It didn't seem like you were at the start of the season. It looked like you'd been playing for several months. Yeah, it's a, it a kind of weird preseason uh, as well. We go off to a couple of uh, wins against Tampa in Tampa, then then in Raleigh, and then pardon me, they lost a couple of games that they maybe should have felt they won. But it, it's, it was weird the way that some of the the teams lined up. There was one game where the Canes were playing pretty much prospects with maybe a handful of um, veteran guys. Uh, I can't even remember which team it was. I think it was Washington, and they had basically um, Ovechkin, Oshie, and you know all their big names playing, uh, and it was a really close game. So that 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 was uh, that was quite heartening to see that like a bunch of kids that are playing in Charlotte and down in the uh, down in their uh, junior teams now uh, did did okay against these elite players. Um, as for James Reimer, I was surprised when the 
the, the sign him. I thought they would have went somewhere else for a goalie because, well, you, you'll know yourself, Claire, when being in Toronto, he's not exactly had uh, a great history, but um, he seems to be playing okay. It's a bit unorthodox. Um, Rob might be able to... Um, he's a bit of an acrobat, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, he faced a lot of rubber in that Florida game um, and uh, he, he came out with a W, so that's what you want from your your, your guys um, is facing if they're facing a lot of rubbers coming out with, with a win so if guys are facing 50 shots and they're coming out with a win <laughs> why not yeah things are going to happen <laughs> I down, think down um, I've got Morazic as uh, one of my fantasy goalies as well actually so I need him to do well yeah he, he had a, a pretty decent season last year um, got his. Uh, he had the one-year deal last year, and he's got his contract extended this year. Um, Who's number one? Because they're both <laughs> on about the same salary, aren't they? Similar contract. So right now, who's been kind of put in the net the most? I've, I think Marazic's been in net slightly more, but I think that's down to the fact that he was there last year, and they kind of know what they're getting. But you could genuinely. Just like last year, um, you could toss a coin and either goalie could go in because when, when, when Michael Haney was, was in net for us, he did really, really well. Um, and that's, that's why you got a, a good move to, to Tampa as well. Mm. One of the things I've just got to ask you, we'll come back to goalies in a second, um, but Patrick Marlowe was a member of the Carolina Hurricanes for all of five days in June. What on earth happened there remind us he's obviously been in the headlines this week because of that emotional return to San Jose Sharks I can't that, remember what happened in June it feels like a lifetime ago I think the Canes traded for him uh, I can't remember who or what the deal was um, but they needed to free up some uh, salary space can't even remember who went that's terrible um, <laughs> it's a long time and, ago isn't it June a lot happened and then they bought out his contract so um, they, they freed up some salary cap um, kind of the same when uh, the, the trade was made to the Florida for, for Reimer um, Scott Darling went there uh, and they basically bought his contract out straight away mm. as well I don't even know if Scott Darling's playing hockey this year. <laughs> well, see, Rob, I don't know if you've had a chance to kind of see much, uh, you know, of the games like, say, Bobrovsky. Everyone was raving about him. This was like a hot deal. Um, the Flanthers, as I always end up calling them <laughs> by accident, um, you know, were meant to come out firing all cylinders. That game that I watched the other day was an embarrassment. It's not all been downhill for them, but have the you know we kind of introduced this this question really out on social media of who's hot and who's not. Uh, I would kind of right now be putting him in who's not hot, but is that just because it's a new team? He needs time to get used to how it works and adapt. Yeah, I think that's. Part of it, I mean, the, the Panthers haven't just changed their number one goalie, they've changed their coach as well. So, you know, with that kind of upheaval, there's there's new systems and, you know, new... 
new teammates to get familiar with. It, it, you know, a defense is is a unit really in in the NHL, and, and this is sometimes maybe forgotten or, or lost that you know a goaltender isn't an island; he's part of a team. Uh, and I think maybe we saw this in in Florida's most recent game against New Jersey. Corey Schneider were kind of on the receiving end. The Devils being four one up, and, and they lost that game six four. And you know, I, I granted it's it's one game, but you kind of you, you look at the highlights and. I don't think Schneider had a whole lot of help <laughs> in some of those. There was, you know, turnovers and, and defensemen, screen, you know, from his own team screening Schneider. And if that's the kind of thing that, that's happening, you can't put that all on on the goalie's shoulders. You know, it's there's only so much, or, or, or there's only a certain line you can go to where you say we we need our goalie to bail us out. But realistically, sometimes they can only bail you out to that point, that line. Uh, and as I say, with with that big summer move, I don't think it's going to be a pressure thing, Bobrovsky. I don't think that's going to bother him at all. It, it's a new team under a new coach, new teammates, new habits, new everything to kind of get used to. And you know, we're only half a dozen games into the season. He's played or, or featured in five of them, and you know, he's done okay. But he's faced a, a number of high danger chances. I'm sure that is something they'll try and even out throughout the year. They're, they're still around there. They're two, two, and two. You know they're just on the bubble, which is probably where they want to be right now, as they get used to, to life in the Joel Quimville with with some new names and faces in the lineup. See on our Slack group um, for fans of NHL uh, from afar, you pointed out we we kind of said about Sharks getting off to a really poor start to the season, mm. and the thing that you highlighted was the fact they need to get some consistency when it comes to goaltending. Um, ironically, yeah. Martin Jones is higher than Frederick Anderson of the Leafs and Sergei Bobrovsky uh, when it comes to the top 50 uh, goalies right now in the NHL. But still, it's an ongoing problem. They haven't really moved that forwards this season. No, and, and the thing is with, with the Sharks, they... Whereas Anderson and Bobrovsky, I mean, obviously Bobrovsky has moved teams as, we, as we've just touched on, but, but both Bobrovsky and Anderson were at least good, if not very good, last year. Whereas this isn't the first season Jones has struggled. He struggled at the start of last season. I kind of backed him at the time to, to snap out of it, but he just hasn't. And, and if you trace it back even further, you know, the problems in his movement from side to side, certainly from his catcher side to his blocker side, his left to his right, it's just... It's not good. The, the rotation is poor. And uh, I know my in-goal colleague, Kat Silverman, wrote a piece on it in going back as far as 2017, highlighting the same problems. And when you're two years into the same problems still being evident, that's worrying. And, and this is the kind of thing that's holding San Jose back. You look at the team they've got. They've undergone some upheaval. I think losing Joel Pavelski is, is huge for them. But just in general terms, the team is still good in theory on paper. They've got Carlson, Burns... To Thornton, you know they've got guys who can play. They've just re-signed Marlowe, but the offense wasn't quite bailing out Jones and Arundel as maybe it did last year, or, or covering over for them as it did last year. Uh, I think they'll come good. I still think they'll make the playoffs because the rest of the roster is that good, in my opinion. I, you know, I maybe proved a fool fool in six months' time, but <laughs> when it comes to the playoffs, they need. They need more than they've been getting from Jones and, and Dell because Dell's not good enough to push Martin Jones out in the way some other 1B or backup goalies might be. 
or, or some young guys in the system might be able to come in like Carter Hart did for Philadelphia and, and force their way in and, and you know make a name for themselves at a time when their team really needs them to. Jordan Bington, another great example of that from last year. Mm. San Jose just don't have that. They need Jones or Dell to step up, and they're just not. And you're getting to the point now, as I said, where two years of pretty much the same problems manifesting in Martin Jones' game, you start to question his very place on the Sharks in the NHL. It's it's a concern, and I, I think it's something San Jose are going to have to seriously think about this season. Especially when your biggest rival, Vegas Golden Knights, has got Marc-Andre Fleury, right? Hmm. Yeah, I mean... I think sometimes he goes under the radar a bit, doesn't he? But Maybe less so now, but that's partly because it's Vegas. He is the guy in Vegas, so they've got some great players. They obviously acquired Mark Stone. They've got uh, Pacioretty, Stansny, William Carlson's flourish there, but you know, Flurry is the guy. It's why they signed him to a longer-term extension, even though he's an older goalie, because he is the guy locally. Everybody loves him. He's likeable. I get it. You know, I love Mark andre Flurry. Everybody does. The thing is there is what happens if he goes down? Because they lean on him heavily. And we, we talked, Jared Glant talked about this in the week. You know, he's having practices off. Jesus, we're like two weeks into the new season, less. And he's talking about having practices off, which is not a bad thing. Don't misunderstand me. It's something that teams are doing. Vegas are fortunate to be able to kind of dodge around it in a sense that they have Mike McKenna as part of their broadcast team now. He's recently retired from a great minor league career. So he can jump in a practice with Malcolm Subban or Oscar Dansk at the moment while Subban's injured. So they always have two practice goalies. They can give Flurry the day off to rest and recuperate. But when you're 10 days, two weeks into a new season and you're already talking about him taking time off, that makes me take a slight intake of breath. And it worries me what happens if he does get injured he's been pretty durable throughout his career but it happens even to the most durable guys you know you fall awkwardly or just overstretch and you know he's one of the most flexible guys going even now but things happen right it's hockey and and it just concerns when they lean so heavily on him I don't have to say what? that. I'm a Leafs fan, for goodness sake. <laughs> I mean, if Frederick Anderson goes down, that's it, really. Our season yeah, is over. Yeah, but the, the thing with the Leafs is that feels almost self-enforced, self-inflicted, is that the, the Babcock is consciously playing Anderson for 65, 70 games a year. You know, they granted, you know, Sparks maybe didn't cover himself in glory last year, but equally he's a guy who probably needed more regularised time to get some flow in his game, to feel some confidence. And he just didn't get that. And, you know, if he if he stumbled, they went straight back to Anderson. And Anderson will say, oh, I can play 65 plus, no problem, because that's who Freddie Anderson is. But if you're a team with playoff aspirations, cup aspirations, you, you can't always do that. Mm. And, you know, not every team is in the... I just mentioned Mike McKenna for Vegas, where they can kind of circumvent this bit and have McKenna as like a practice goalie, which is something which a lot of teams should think about, but there's a whole myriad of issues that that is almost a separate discussion with that. But, you know, you keep going back to Anderson in in, in Toronto. I I don't know how sustainable that is. And and that's even speaking with the guy, he's been, what, top five, minimum top 10, if not top five in the league for a couple of years. But come playoff time, you know, that's, that's a big ask with that that spotlight as well mm. yeah. actually I should just thank Ross the, the Bruins fan for pointing out this week to us that uh, Tuka Rask has apparently got the most wins of any goalie drafted by the Maple Leafs um, <laughs> so thanks for that Ross 
who if like if you had to put a name down as an ultimate man crush of like goalie of the NHL like to both of you who who is your ultimate goalie man crush in in the league now or all time or well, I was gonna say now, really, keep keeping it topical. But now I'm intrigued. <laughs> I mean, how how do you not love Dominic Hasek for the way he played? That just it, it, he was a, a human highlight reel. Uh, you know, I mean, I grew up as as an Avs fan and as a kid, and obviously the Patrick Roy thing. But looking back now, how can you not love Hasek in in historical terms? Uh, in the league now, Lundqvist or Flurry. And I think they're probably self-explanatory, right? <laughs> yeah. How about you, Paul? For me, historically, I was always a big fan of the undersized goalies, um, particularly Artur Zirbe when he was in Carolina. Um, Good answer. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Like, But now, uh, I, I can't say that there's any goalie that sticks out for me Um above anybody else it would be my favourite there's almost everybody in the NHL now is really steady and consistent um, all guys have their off nights and everything like that but generally speaking I don't know like Bobrovsky last year um, when he was in Columbus was probably the, the guy that I liked the most this year obviously not so much Um genuinely can't give you an answer on that yeah it's a weird one isn't it see I'd have to split my answer I think um, in terms of a fan of my team when he's absolutely on fire I enjoy Frederick Anderson because he is not that kind of um, acrobat as I talked about he's very strong steady wall-like but in terms of actually like watching a little little surprise to me, I don't know why, but I always enjoy whenever he's on the ice, is um, Jonas Corpusalo at um, Columbus. I, I just like his style. I mean, it's like he's dancing. I mean, it's terrifying. <laughs> if he was your goalie uh, of your team, it'd be terrifying because you're like, How, why are you so far out? Get back in there. But it's entertaining to watch. That I, saw, I don't know why. You know the weird things that you just end up doing as a fan where it's like, it's 4 a.m., you can't sleep and you're watching endless crap on YouTube. Uh, <laughs> and then you end up watching a highlights reel. And I don't know why, but someone had put together um, a highlights reel of, of Corpusalo on uh, YouTube. And I, I just kind of got sucked in. Um, and I just really, I really enjoyed it. But then I also like, you know, I'm a sucker for a story. And I think Jordan Binnington and Robin Lerner's stories in particular are just fascinating, really. Um, particularly Robin Lerner, I think all that he's been through personally and how he's come through the other side, I, it was good to see him have a good season that he deserved last year. Um, and he was up there in the in the the runnings for the whatever the goalie award is, wasn't he? Last year? Yeah, yeah, he yeah. was in the mix. I think. Um... Splitting with with Thomas Grice, maybe hurt his case a little bit. It, it was seen very much as a a tandem for the Islanders. I think last year they they won the Jennings, and I think maybe that hurt his Vesna case a little bit, rightly or wrongly. Mm. Um, but he was in the mix. He and he deserved fully deserved to, to be in that conversation. Mm. Did, but did you see the he, picture that he posted of his his Jennings trophy when 
<laughs> it's like New York Rangers. He's like, you had one job, guys. <laughs> uh, let me just see some comments. Um, I know Andy, who was on last week, put a comment. He's interested to see who has the better season out of Carter and Jordan, second place in the Calder voting, Binnington, uh, because both look like they're going to be really good. And that Samsonov guy, uh, as in the Caps uh, backup, has been good for me in fantasy. So that's nice. Because <laughs> <laughs> fantasy is all that matters. And I'm just going to say it once because it's probably the only time I'm going to get to say it for the whole of this season. But uh, for those of you that actually give a crap, I actually won in the fantasy league of uh, our little team this week. <laughs> it's never going to happen yet for the rest of the season. So I'm just going to say that and move on. And then I started week two and it's been absolutely abysmal. But whatever. I'll work out all the waivers and stuff later. But my thing is, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. So um, what else have we got going around? Uh, oh, Colorado Avalanches. Oh my God. I mean, who is undefeated? I wrote, I start, I start the prep for the podcast normally on a Friday or Saturday. And I just wrote, who is undefeated? Who has failed to win? And the other day it was Avalanches, Buffalo and Oilers who were all undefeated. Um, no longer the case uh, for Buffalo and Oilers. Um, who had failed to win was Devils, the Minnesota Wild and Chicago Blackhawks. Now on that list is only the Devils. But Colorado Avalanche, I mean, and rightly so. Steve Edwards, um, who comes on the podcast now and again, was, you know, delightfully smug. And I would be too. Uh, they've kind of always been just quietly there, haven't they, the Avs? And I, and I hope that they get a good run for it. They've, they've set themselves up nicely for the next couple of years, surely. Yeah, they're in a good spot. I mean, what's impressed me, I think, early, the, the one thing, I should probably pretext, the one thing that concerned me about the Avs coming into the season was kind of their defensive depth. And Johnson had missed a little bit of time through injury and, and Cole. They're both back back now. Ian Cole made his, his season debut in their last game. So the defensive side, whether Philip Grubauer was legitimately ready to take the number one role outright. Obviously, last year he split time with, with Semyon Varlamov. Uh, and Pavel Frankuz is stepped in as the as the backup, and so far so good. You know the Grubauer's looked good uh, through the four games he's played. Franku won his debut the other night, and, and you know they're scoring goals. They're doing their job in their own end. I think the additions they made over the summer are, are, are you know, important ones. You know, Nazim Kadri, who I think maybe was a little bit underrated in in Toronto early in his career. The Maple Leafs weren't the strongest side, so you know everybody kind of looked dimly on the team and then when they started to get a bit stronger well he was kind of in the shadow of the Matthews the Marners the Tavares the Rileys of, of the team so you know a new start for him in, in Colorado and you know if he's your, your second or third line centre you're doing pretty well uh, Burakovsky coming in Donskoy Bellamar kind of maybe that flies under radar but as a depth guy among the forwards it's, it's a really smart savvy addition for the Avs and then of course you've got Kyle Macker on the back end who's got six assists in five games so mm. I, I, whether they keep it up I, I don't know I, I think at some point maybe they'll they'll have a, a little bit of a wobble but certainly the pieces are there to at least make the playoffs I'd be very surprised if they weren't one of the top three teams in the central this season once you're in you know, who knows right they've got the tools to, to go far potentially yeah 
yeah absolutely um <laughs> i'm just kind of seeing what where it's kind of lying in the central division at the moment um colorado at top st louis blues then winnipeg jets um and then nashville dallas have got off to a really poor start um much to matt our dallas fans uh, disapproval uh, mm. they did they did get a win the other day though so he was like woo to that uh, <laughs> you gotta you gotta take everything but then when you're yeah. sat near the bottom end of your your division and the Edmonton Oilers are at the top of theirs you're kind of wondering what the hell is going on in the world um see I mean I guess with you Paul uh, in the Metro division it got pretty close and pretty tight didn't it in that playoff run last year um, it must be quite nice for you to kind of get those points and get five wins in the can now, particularly as, you know, people like Pittsburgh Penguins, for instance, have got all these injuries. They're, they're still up there. They're second. Um, but every point's going to count. So the better your season can start and you get the points now whilst you're all healthy um, and fresh is going to help you later on, right? Absolutely. The, the the Metro division last year was arguably the the strongest division out of them all. Um, I think all but two teams were relatively in the mix deep into the season. Um, um, and I can only speak for the Caroline Hurricanes. were notoriously bad starters. Um, but this year... Um, it's been a welcome surprise to see them win five straight off the get-go. Um, uh, I think we start our road swing in uh, California tonight. Um, we've got three games in Cali and uh, before we head back. Um, it's always unusual. The Canes tend to go on a, a road trip, a lengthy road trip early on in the season because the North Carolina State Fair's on uh, and it's in the same area that the arena's in, so they try and keep the two apart. But uh, the new owner, Tom Dundon, said, like, no, we need to get fans through the door um, early in the season, even when the state fair's here. Everybody's in and around the area, so let's get them in. So hopefully we're having more home games early in the season will help as well, because when when you've got a lot of people in that building, um, it's, it's, it's one of the, the biggest, loudest buildings in the in the NHL um, but again go back to the Metro division it's, it's so strong and teams are so so deep with talent it's, it's ridiculous that like you, you, you go through Pittsburgh and Washington you look at the offensive talent that they've got but then they're, they're all strong in the back end as well um, it's it's going to be an interesting season for, for the Metro division yet, yet again Um I'm kind of hoping that we stay towards the, the, the top end this year instead of going on a, a bit of a run to make it in over the line at the last minute like last year. <laughs> you know, um, I dropped a message to uh, Tom Parker, who is a, a fellow Brummy and Oilers fan. And I just, uh, I sent her a message saying, what's in, what's in the, the Oilers breakfast? Like, what the hell is going on over there? And he just texted me back saying, I've no idea. I'm expecting them to start losing soon. It would be very Oilers to follow up a record winning streak with a record losing run. 
So uh, let's hope that they're not on that downward spiral. But yeah, you, you just got to take uh, take the run and hold it as long as you can. And if you can stay in the top three or four for uh, much of the season, you're going to set yourself up right, aren't you? And New York Rangers, um, I think I want to point out in the Metro, um, Capo Caco's got his first goal. Jack Hughes hasn't yet. Um, also, actually, uh, a fellow called Jeff... Um, who is a fan of this podcast and connected with us on Twitter um, a couple of months ago. Um, He's actually on tour going to see his first ever NHL hockey games. And um, he sent us a picture of him watching one of his first ever games at Madison Square Gardens the other day. He's going on a tour around loads of different stadiums. So I've asked him to keep us posted on that and maybe catch up with us when he's back. Can remember that, that first time that you ever went to an NHL game and like how magical it was that this thing that you were so used to watching on a small telly at the bottom <laughs> of your bed and then you go there and it's like an amazing spectacle um where have you been to see games rob uh my first one was in vancouver in 2003 uh canucks against the flames uh batuzi in nasland we're still playing for the canucks this is before the uh Batuzzi instant with Stephen Moore, the infamous uh, assault, <laughs> really. But Batuzzi, this is before that. Uh, Batuzzi was phenomenal. I mean, the combination of, of size and skill was just awe-inspiring. He's still the best player I've seen live. Uh, mm. Against a Flames team, which had Mika Kuprasov and, and Jerome McGinley, among others, in it. So, two pretty good teams uh, of the time. This is, you know, the when the Canucks were in a different phase, I guess, of being a contender with, with say, Batuzzi and Nasland and uh, Matthias Oland on the back end uh, and uh, Brendan Morrison as well, who, who kind of flew under the radar for years, really, because of Nasland and Batuzzi as the brighter lights. Uh, the last one I went to was in London, uh, the Ducks-Kings game in London. So, um, unfortunately, uh, the tickets I had for the Vegas playoff game, their inaugural season, never came to pass because I had tickets for game five and they beat LA in four. <laughs> so, oh, so uh, the the dream of uh, seeing uh, the Golden Knights in their first season in their first playoff round uh, never came to pass because the Kings couldn't hit the back of the net. So, uh, <laughs> but it was pretty cool being in Vegas, uh, you know, during playoff time like that, especially as they just won the first series and the kind of the euphoria was still hanging around the city. So, mm. hey, just speaking of um, Canucks. Uh, we kind of uh, predicted it. It's like it happened because we spoke about it on the podcast last week. I'm sure that's not the case, but um, we were talking about captaincy and, and um, obviously it was like a really emotional unveiling this week of uh, Bo Horvat uh, being announced as captain of Canucks um, and some of the former captains were there to kind of wave him in as well, which was a really nice um, little thought. But another little quirk that, that caught my eye, um, and I've chosen as the picture for this episode, um, is Elias uh, Pedersen um, and this, uh, this kind of religion that's been <laughs> formed around him, which really made me chuckle, actually. I, I just saw it on, on Twitter, and I don't know how I, I've missed it, but... Um, basically what happened was in a long, long time ago, it feels like a long time ago, uh, Elias Pedersen, his first 10 games, got 10 goals, didn't he? Mm -hmm. And um, it was a complete off-the-cuff remark that a Sportsnet presenter said, someone should start a church in his honour. And (laughs) a a random Canucks fan decided to do that and called it Church of Pedersen. 
Um, they didn't want to reveal their real name and they never show their face. So their nickname is Alien Pope. Um, and they created this uh, this website with merchandise and membership and everything. And the slogan is like, may the alien deaky bless you with many red lights. Um, and, uh, and, and yeah, and, and, about, and uh, it showed on uh, Twitter, it was on the NHL website this week that Elias Pedersen actually met Alien Pope. They did like a photo op. Um, which I, I thought was absolutely crazy. And when I sent this to uh, our Canucks fan, Andy, asking, did you did you know about this? Um, he promptly sent me a photo of his membership pack, um, <laughs> which has a, a letter welcome, welcoming him to the club um, of indoctrination or whatever it is, and a little necklace, which actually looks like an alien um, that he gets to wear. And, and uh, he also added his wife, did think he was joining a cult uh, <laughs> when she saw the letter, but I thought that was kind of quite cool. There are a lot, lot of good press coming out from the Canucks at the moment um, as a team that have kind of they just went a little bit under the radar last year. Didn't really didn't really hear much about them. Elias Pedersen was about all I really knew. Um, yeah, I mean, he was the story of their year, really, and that was a, a, a huge thing I think for that franchise because. You know, from was it 2011? They played Boston in the final and kind of just started to slowly crumble away from there. It felt like for a period of time they were just ticking over really until the Sedin twins retired. It was kind of that raging against the dying light. I think I compared to on the blog once, just because there was no way they were really going to move the twins. So they they kept them ticking. They were kind of on the bubble. They, they, you know, they hung around. They might be would have had a chance to sneak in an eighth each year or, you know, getting a maybe a top 10 pick or, or something. They just, you know, they weren't quite good enough to be guaranteed a playoff spot. They weren't quite bad enough to be guaranteed a top three pick. And then the Sedins hung them up and it's kind of like, okay, you know, we've got Vitanen and Horvat. We've got some pieces. And then Elias Pettersson emerged last year and it was such a great story, I think, for that franchise. Just to, to, to have something to rally around as, as they have. I mean, you know, the Church Pettersson's great i love that idea i just just because it, it's it's something fans can can hang their hat on i mean they're, they're not guaranteed anything this year they've got some nice young pieces in pedersen horvat vatanen again quinn hughes and to make them at least competitive on the ice i think adding uh, having ian clark up there as the goalie coach will help markstrom and more significantly moving forward thatcher demko perhaps and, you know down the line they might be a, a more serious contender but you know they've got things to, to rally around players, to rally around reasons to to smile, even if the team is imperfect, and you know they might grab a wild card spot, they might even sneak into to third, maybe in the division. I think it's possibly unlikely, but there's reason to be hopeful and reason to to think at least if you buy a ticket, you're going to be entertained, which is really kind of what you want as a fan, at least to feel like you might get your money's worth out of a team if you go and go and watch. Yeah, and I suppose actually, Paul, like the the Hurricanes were fantastic at that at the end of last season are they carrying on any of this bunch of jerk stuff or these random celebrations that they were doing after games the uh, the storm surge as it's called still still happens after a, a home win um, I wasn't sure that was going to happen this year after um, Justin Williams decided that he was stepping away from the NHL whatever that means I don't know if he's going to be coming back in some way, shape or form, but um, that was his brainchild last year. Um, but it's been very low-key this year that it's just been skating up to the glass and 
jumping into the glass. No, no elaborate duck hunt or boxing or kayaking or whatever. Just, uh, <laughs> but but it's still there. The fans still love it. I don't know if uh, I don't know if Rob was a fan. I love stuff like that. Hockey should be fun, right? This is this is the thing that this is such a phenomenal sport it's got speed there's a physical element there's tremendous skill but sometimes the NHL just cannot get out of its own way you know, Actually, it just, it, it's so buttoned up and it's like the most middle class white sport because you know everybody is like it's a team game and you know and I understand that sort of point it's not like the NBA where unless you're Conor McDavid one guy can run a game like mm. LeBron James can or Anthony Davis did for New Orleans and now he's obviously in LA as well and, and all this stuff it's not quite the same kind of sport there is that much greater need for a team around you again McDavid and the Oilers being a good example of this but equally the fun stuff just it needs to come out more and it is, it is starting to happen the storm surge is a bit more you know, personality creeping out, I think, here and there. I mean, look at Eichel and Reinhardt in Buffalo, which is a market which, like, always puts up viewing figures, always puts up attendances. Even the Sabres were horrible. Random games that the Sabres aren't even involved in get good viewing figures in Buffalo because they love their hockey. And they've been rewarded with, like, a guy like Jack Eichel, who formed this great friendship with Sam Reinhardt. And it's stuff like that which brings the fun out of the sport and it needs to and people lambast P.K. Subban but the guy is phenomenal he's awesome he's going to have a brilliant broadcasting career if he wants it when he retires and that's what the league needs more of otherwise it's just going to get overtaken by the MLS maybe esports it's going to lose ground further ground on the NBA and NFL and all this stuff it you know it needs it needs to bring the fun out to really sell itself to people you know it's interesting to use the word fun because I don't know if you saw one of the things um Elliot Friedman was talking about on Hockey Night in Canada this week was potential changes to the All-Star weekend um, to basically, in his words, make the players look like they're having fun. <laughs> and they, they picked a, a particular uh, task, I don't know what you call them, task, uh, incident, event, game. I don't, I don't know what you yeah. call the, the things, right? Um, where Eric Carlson... Um, it, it's it's really hard to describe this with words, isn't it? <laughs> oh my god! But he was like, kind of going to the bits where they have to lift the puck up on the stick and put it through the hole, um, and he just couldn't do this one thing. And he just and it, and uh, they were saying how it doesn't make the players look good or the sport look good, so they need to come up with more uh, fun games for them to show off their skill. I mean, God. Talk about making that weekend more painful. Most I mean, people would already wish it was deleted anyway. Sure. The, what's the All-Star game for at the end of the day? It's like, it's a, it's, I know they call it, it's a celebration of hockey and all the stars we have in the league and this stuff. It's a chance for you know, league execs to glad hand sponsors and all this kind of stuff and bring people together. And, but ultimately, it's really, it's a, a kid's thing. You know, it's it's just, a, a, and some people take it too damn seriously. Mm. I mean, honestly, like the John Scott thing a couple of years ago, that that was just, it was an organic thing that grew and people loved it and they tried to stamp it out and tried to squash it. And there was this whole thing with him getting sent down, was it by the coyotes he was with to the minors? And it's just like, that's exactly kind of what we're talking about, where it just, the league sometimes just cannot get out of its own way. Mm. Like mm. people try and organically make, or, or 
give themselves a, a, an organic or vested interest in the all-star game, which has been maligned by adults for <laughs> years. And then they try and stamp, you know, stamp it down. And it, it, I don't have the answers, but I think maybe we just need to respect that it's probably more for the kids than the adults in the room. Yeah. <laughs> and, and just like let people have their five minutes of silliness and fun. Look at what Ovechkin does every year. And people lambasted him last year for taking the year off, but he's given the All-Star game probably more than any other player over the last 10 years, just through sheer stupidity in the penalty shots he does, turn it with fishing hats and things. But at least he tries to inject the humour and the fun that the, the, the event's supposed to be about. Mm. You know, other guys just, they yeah, they're there, they do their bit because they're dutiful professionals. John Tavares is a great example. You know, he's a dutiful professional. He's a very highly skilled player. You give him an accurate, you put him in the most accurate shooter, he'll hit the targets four out of four, four out of five, whatever. You know, he'll say all the right things. He'll smile, he'll sign autographs. But at the end of the day, he's John Tavares, you know, good hockey player. He's, a good he's what's wrong with the NHL, not, is that what you're saying? He's it's a great directly, player, but boring. No, not directly, but <laughs> you know, he's not his personality isn't as vibrant as some others. And that's not a criticism of, of him as a person, you know, he's he's a good person. And he's that's, an excellent hockey player. It's very interesting just, that you say that actually, because I I mean vibrancy. I've I've been yeah, I've been quite open how PK Subban and Ovechkin, I'm just not their biggest fans, but I totally understand what you're saying, that actually in terms of entertainment and profile of the sports, yeah, there's there's no no one like them in that sense. I mean, who doesn't want to celebrate like Alexander Ovechkin? <laughs> yeah. Right, and, and the, the storm surge is like, I think for me, it's, it's a team thing, but it's an extension of that. It's this outward display of joy from a team and you know we get this crushedy like thing was it Mike Madano a couple of years ago like grumbling because players are like high-fiving or going down they're going down the bench high-fiving and it's like Jesus Mike you did that for like 15 years as an NHL player Mm. it's just a thing and like it's probably the most low-key celebration you can think of just bumping gloves with the teammates as you go down the bench it's Mm. like this is the thing that like, where is the NHL in, in the rankings of the big leagues? In North America or anywhere in the world? Like, football, soccer, depending on where you're listening from, that's king. That's the global sport. The NFL is the big league in North America. It dominates, like, certainly in America, but probably Canada too. It dominates there, and it's now starting to spread its wings into Europe. The NBA, I mean, legitimately, basketball could probably claim to be the second most popular sport in the world. And the NBA sorry the NBA is legitimately the biggest basketball league in turn so it's kind of got a monopoly on the elite talent within basketball you know, in a way that football doesn't because you've got the Premier League Little League etc so they've got all that going for them baseball is usually popular in North America MLS is growing partly off the back of soccer's popularity or football's popularity you know, whatever don't at me what's the NHL like it's it's got the monopoly on ninety nine percent of the world's talent. There's a few exceptions in the KHL and maybe the SHL, but it doesn't have this sort of vibrant, outgoing, trying to bolster the popularity of the sport and the league type scheme project, whatever you want to call it, that the NBA does. I mean, look at the the work the NBA has done in. I know they've got the hoo ha at the moment in China, but 
prior to that, they did a lot of work in Asia and China. They've done a lot of work in Africa. They've had games in Europe, in London. I think they're playing some in Paris and, and all this. Mm. The NHL, I mean, the, the, the Global Series games, to me, at this point, they feel like a box-ticking thing. Chicago, Philadelphia, it's not a big draw. That's not like a classic rivalry. I know they mm. played in the Stanley Cup final a few years ago, but that was probably one of the worst Stanley Cup finals we've had in recent years. It's not, but it's like, hey, we played in Europe. It's like, yeah, but really? Is that the, you know, like the, the Major League Baseball sending the Red Sox and the Yankees to London? Yeah. The NHL is doing Blackhawks flyers. So, oh, come the, on. The NHL are just, they're just not really pushing the brand of the sport and they're not being yeah. very entertaining to kind of grow yeah, the profile, I mean, right? Maybe part of the problem is that there's still pockets of certainly the United States that they're maybe not, you know, in their own backyard, they don't dominate. Like the NFL, even when like teams are bad, people will still be back to watch the Miami Dolphins or whoever. But you look at the Florida Panthers, I mean, they've been horrible for years. That doesn't help the situation, but, you know, they're not a draw. I think one night or one game, the only press there was the guy, the beat writer from The Athletic. And there was nobody from the local paper. They used the Associated Press match report in mm. the papers. And maybe that's part of the problem, that the NHL isn't yet, maybe it will be one day, but isn't yet or currently a big draw in some of its own markets maybe that's what they want to try and get right first but you know the NBA and the NFL have already got that they're big they, they ain't going to get a lot bigger in North America maybe the same for baseball too whereas the NHL does have that potential so maybe they would rather try and tick that box before they start worrying about setting up arms and programs and projects in, in other parts of the world maybe that's what it is but yeah, it seems that the NHL have maybe missed a boat a little on with, yeah. the, with the global series, I mean, you've got games in Prague, games in Helsinki, London, uh, but the, they should be having more games in Europe and maybe even further away um, in, in Asia and stuff like that as well because yeah. the potential for the market there is enormous. But yeah. they're focusing so much. Right, it was great. We had the Winter Classic every year, but now there's the Heritage Series where you, you're getting three and four outdoor games every season now. And it seems to be the same teams that get them, you know. Your original six teams is yeah. is pretty much a shoe in for one of the games. Uh, and then the Black Hawks have the, to play one game every year. <laughs> yeah. So it, it, it's it's weird that they've, it, it looks like they're kind of focusing on the wrong thing just now. Are we biased, yeah. though, because we don't live in, in North America, we live in Europe? And, I mean, what what kind of percentage of fans are there of the NHL in Europe we are a small minority aren't we yeah I mean yes we are biased I, I, I think we should have full disclosure yeah we, we are slightly biased of <laughs> but you know the other the thing is that if you play in Prague Prague being the most recent example like extra league games ticket prices are a fraction of what the NHL wanted and the extra league is pretty good right if you go to Sweden Again, SHL is probably the third best league in the world after the NHL and the KHL. Ticket prices, again, much cheaper than an NHL game. So there's this sort of... Like how much are they? I've got no concept of how much 
I mean, I know I'm putting you on the spot there, but are we talking like in, you know, in the UK, you can expect to pay what maybe somewhere between 15 and 20 pounds an adult to go see a game yeah. uh, for I mean, elite league hockey. If the NHL came back to London, I mean, I would be very surprised if you paid for a decent, like a decent seat, you're three figures, 100, 100 quid at least, I'd have thought. Uh, I'm trying to think what we paid when we went in 2007, but I forget. But, you know, even sort of an upper deck, I wouldn't be surprised if they did the whole London prices thing and it, we're talking 75, 80 quid or something stupid like that. Mm. I wouldn't be that surprised, cause, especially because London people will fly in from other parts of Europe to, to, to come to London and things. Um, and this is, you know, maybe that's part of the trouble is is there are high-level leagues in some of these other countries so people locals can just say well i can go watch the local team for a fraction of the price it means more to me because it's my local team uh you know whereas with the nba and the nfl again they're kind of the dominant leagues maybe i'm being a bit disrespectful to some of the european basketball leagues because because basketball in europe is is popular and there are some good teams around but kind of if the nba rolls into town but then maybe this is also why they focused on london and paris rather than parts of eastern europe where the 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 leagues are a little bit stronger and, and maybe more established or, or Spain and things. It's just, it's like I said, it, we, we are biased. Absolutely. But just looking at some of the, like one of the projects again, with the NBA have done in, in sort of China and things to try and popularize basketball. They've, they've tried to help popularize the sport there because it, you know, cynically it benefits them because then they'd send, you know, players out there for tours and games and, and all this stuff and they make money off it. Uh, or they did until recently, maybe. But yeah. like the NHL, they sent the Oilers and Flames, which is slightly more meaningful until you consider it's like a preseason game. And all of a sudden, it's like that somewhat takes the shine off it. Like, I understand teams don't want to compromise their regular season schedule by shipping halfway around the world for a game worth, oh, it's worth two points in the standings. You know, and it's just frustrating that. that it's kind of close, but I, I feel like they could go that next step now. They should offer them something like uh, you can have an extra two million in the cap for that season, <laughs> or something. That would that would get them yeah. going, wouldn't it? You could have two I mean, points if you win, and yeah. you shouldn't have to. It, you know, again, maybe this is slightly cynically, but you know, maybe you shouldn't have to do that sometimes. Like, and, and again, I appreciate the current climate is slightly different, but how much? have the Houston Rockets benefited from being seen to be China's team because that was Yao Ming played for a long time and that's a big factor there and this is a big factor is, an end, is having that figurehead for a given market so hang again, on ex- explain that to me because I, I don't know mo- very much about that so uh, Yao Ming was a Chinese basketball player uh, who played was it about 8 or 10 years in the NBA I think he had to retire due to injuries but you know, he was he was legit. He was a legitimately great player, uh, and he was drafted by the Houston Rockets. I think he spent his entire career there. So, instantly, anybody in China with an interest in basketball kind of had a hook with the Rockets because that's where Yao Ming plays, right? We support uh, our compatriot, and and so the Rockets kind of, you know, they they built up uh, reputation. Is that the right word? I don't know. It's China's NBA team per se there were others. and so they had commercial interests grow out there as a result of it as we kind of see now in in premier league football and, and things like that as well you know interest is is 
has grown and, and so forth. And, you know, from that, other things flourish. You know, the NBA as a whole says, well, you know, we know you guys love the Rockets and Yao Ming, but you've got all these other stars as well, these great players. We've got these LeBron James and and Steph Curry and whoever else. So they've tried to tap into the, the economic side as well through sponsorship and broadcast money and, and all these things. And it's kind of grown from there. And part of that comes off the back of Yao Ming. Sorry, I've rambled slightly. Uh, and that figurehead that, and maybe this is, is, is a thing again that comes back to how basketball differs. Is that not something where, similar though, where, I mean, that crazy guy who went to watch a game of rugby league in the UK and he was from Toronto and he decided to have, I'm going to have a rugby league team that's based in Toronto, Toronto Wolfpack. And they started at the bottom and they've worked their way through the the UK rugby league. I mean, could you imagine if someone said, we're going to have a a London NHL team and I don't know what what division they'd be in, <laughs> Atlantic, I suppose. Um, and then and then they just kind of got off and they just did it. But you know, a lot of it comes down to one crazy figurehead um, and maybe a passionate player, and they bash their heads together and off you go. It, it is it is you know, I suppose you're right in that there are a lot of slow clog um, cogs in the NHL. Um, yeah. And we, we don't really know very much about what's happening with Seattle and how that's going to change the way the divisions are set up or anything, really, at the moment. Who's going to change? We think it's going to be the Coyotes, don't we? But yeah, it's not really yeah. confirmed. I think it feels like it's pretty much done. <laughs> I don't, yeah. and the Coyotes might not say that, but at the end of the day, I, I suspect that mm. they'll get shunted into the Central uh, and then Seattle will will join the Pacific. I mean, they'd be mad not to put Seattle in the same division as, as Vancouver, right? That'd be insanity. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. That, but you know what? We could talk all day about all this stuff. Uh, we could, sorry, yeah, I what, rambled on a bit there. I apologise. What, what, <laughs> what could the NHL do more to better promote itself and lovers fans in Europe? I'd be really interested to know what people's thoughts are on that, actually. You can tweet us at NHL fans from afar uh, or email us NHL fans from afar at gmail.com. Just one thing that I just want to um, pick up on. I don't know if you guys have, um, if you use the NHL app, um, a lot of us listening, watching outside of North America rely on NHL Game Center. Um, in the UK, there's also Premier Sports offering as well. But one of the things that I noticed, uh, they've got this Disney streaming service, or however they word it, basically a bunch of really cool stats on the app, um, which I don't always watch games live now. I prefer to watch them as live or the morning after. Um but I, I did get chance to, I was up late enough, like a crazy fool that I am. Um, and uh, the, the actual game center stats that go on when the game is on are fantastic. I, I was, I'm loving a stat anyway. Have you guys had chance to play or are you kind of a watch the next day and have a normal night's sleep kind of people? Yeah, I don't watch too many live for the same reason, I think, with with work and things. And but you know this is an area where the NHL is trying to grow partly for again we come back to the cynical word I think um, player and puck tracking is going to tie in with, with various links with casinos or bookmakers or whatever the right term is yeah um, do you know but, what we should we should have some better stats on this because in the off season uh, and still now actually I, I follow Formula One 
and the the onboard stats and the stuff the graphics that they have access to during the race is absolutely superb um it's great if you're proper geek like that you can go deep in that stuff i mean i have to put my glasses on because some of the graphics are so (laughs) small but why you know yes the nhl should definitely be bracing this it takes a little while to get your head around paul do you are you into stats or are you just more about let me just see my team win and look at the puck more importantly where is the puck I'm kind of split 50-50. Sometimes I'm like, look, let's just let watch watch the boys play. Um, sometimes you can get overwhelmed by too many stats coming thick and fast. Um, sometimes less is more. Um, at the end of the day, we're watching the game. We're not there to watch stats coming up on the screen. <laughs> um, so, again, I, I'm, I'm 50-50. Um, it all depends what they're throwing at you. I mean, like, I don't know. I can't think of anything off the top of my head. But, I mean, shots on target, um, we've had for years anyway. But I, I think leave the kind of analysis till the till the intermissions and uh, let us just enjoy the game. Mm, yeah. I mean, it, they, were, they were putting some stats on the other day of showing where all Austin Matthews' goals were coming from. Um which I quite like that stuff, but just to kind of be able, I think what we're trying, what the, what we're seeing more and more with sports, and ironically, this is something that I've kind of been doing in my professional life, working with more companies, looking at how to broadcast niche sports, and um, yeah, what kind of information is available, but also how to personalise it as well, to the point where um, certainly with some of like the uh, UEFA football games, for instance, you get the option to listen to it in binaural sound, which means the sound happens all around you. Um, you also get to watch it in 360 in VR. Um, you can even control um, how loud you want the crowd to be, um, which commentators uh, you want. If you don't want the commentators at all, um, if you don't want to hear the away fans singing, you can turn them off. <laughs> you can turn the home fans up a bit louder. Um, I mean, it's it's just it's incredible how far you can how technology is like advancing so much with some of this stuff that. Um, particularly I was thinking really for fans like us who don't get to go and watch live games every Saturday and Sunday um, that we are just sat in a room potentially on our own late at night or early in the morning Um, it's a very solo kind of activity that if there are ways that we get to enhance our experience of watching our sport um, that that's surely got to be a benefit you know because we can't replicate that feeling of being there unless there are things like this kind of this binaural sound and virtual reality is if you actually feel like you're sat in one of the the seats in the arena which would be amazing probably a lot cheaper as well (laughs) um but i mean imagine that your team is is in the stanley cup final and you can't make it there but you can put on a headset and some headphones and watch it on your tv in your pants and feel like you're there for a fraction of the price i quite like some of that stuff it excites me if that if that's the way it's going to go but i just hope that the nhl continues to get on board with that kind of um you know technology and the way it's evolving to keep it exciting you know 
as you say, Rob, move it forwards, not stagnate it. Yeah. I mean, I will give them the dues, it may be in one sense, and this is this is not just the NHL, but their, their broadcast partners like Sportsnet and things, is hockey isn't always the most TV-friendly sport, I don't think. You know, nothing beats being there. I don't think you, you truly appreciate it. This is what they say. You, you don't appreciate how quick it is necessary from home the closer you get to the ice the more you realize just how fast it is and, and the energy levels on the ice and in the crowd as well it's not always been the most tv friendly sport as a result i think high definition and 4k hd has helped 4k will continue to help it's becoming easier to follow the puck and and things like that so that you know that's that's a big advancement in technology and as you say whether there's other steps in the future with VR and stuff, I don't know, but certainly looking back from really not, maybe not that long ago, it, it, the big leap forward is things like NHL TV, where you can watch pretty much any game you want. There are, you know, local restrictions and all, all, all that stuff with, with Premier or, or, you know, wherever you're listening from, I'm sure there's some, some local restrictions that, that apply to listeners as well. Mm. But just having this single service that gives you access to essentially every single NHL game in a season. Years ago, you'd be hoping Channel 5 had something on, right? Yeah. Uh, and then it was, you know, and then it was, what was it, North American Sports Network, and then Satanta and now Premier. You know, it was kind of like, fingers crossed, please have something on tonight, flicking through the TV times. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas now you flip open your iPad and scroll through going, hey, there's three games tonight, which one looks fun? Oh, the Sabres are playing the Hurricanes. You know, that's pretty much guaranteed to be a fun game right now. I'm going to watch that. Yeah. And you can sit at home and watch it on your Xbox. You can sit in bed and watch it on your iPad. You can sit on the bus and watch it on your phone. And, and stuff like that is huge for fans, both local and overseas, I think. That's a huge step forward, which thankfully they've done their best to embrace along the way. Maybe it's a, a shallow pass because it's sort of like a, a minimum thing you would expect a billion dollar league to do. Hmm. But, you know, those, those kind of advancements in technology, I think, have made a huge difference to the viewing experience in recent years. And as I say, HD and 4K are a big part of that as well, just because it's a damn sight easier to try and follow what's going on. And this little black disc is darting about the ice everywhere. Hmm. And actually, you know, you're right in terms of... Um when when you kind of uh, get NHL TV, the the radio offerings are, are pretty decent as well. When I was yeah. driving home yeah. the other day, um, a long journey, really late at night, and I managed to catch um, what oh, I can't remember which game it was now, but Patrick Laine was absolutely smashing it. He he got a load of goals. I can't remember which game it was, um, but I was able to listen in on that. Uh, whilst I was driving as if it was just another radio station um, yeah. and that that stuff it, you know it does make a difference it makes us feel a little bit like we are kind of in Canada or America <laughs> like you just normally would if you lived in North America go and turn your radio on and listen to an NHL game um, is something that we miss and we we don't get to experience but anyway we've talked a lot about a whole bunch of things we should round this up and by throwing that god-awful question of who do both of you think is going to win the Stanley Cup this year um, Paul do you have an answer it's way too early to tell. Um, no, you, you, you look. You, you have look at to. Last you have to guess. You have to guess. That's that's the um, rules. 
you, you look at last year how many teams started the season off <laughs> and they were hot like Buffalo and then their season ended pretty quickly yeah um, that could happen again with them they're looking pretty hot just now um, as are the other teams that are with four, five, six wins already um, well I mean nobody I, said St Louis Blues last year that, let's face it no one did mostly people are saying Boston and Dallas on the list uh, so far from guests on the podcast um, that's uh, they're, they're there Rob did you have a, an answer are you are you brave enough to put your name to this I think Paul's absolutely right it's too early to tell but in the you interest whip of it out. Ha- no 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 well, let me finish well, in the interest of having fun I'm going to go with the lightning I think despite their slow start I, I think something is going to click somewhere I mean it should have clicked after they got swept by the Blue Jackets uh, in last year's playoffs apparently it didn't because they've kind of stumbled out the gate this year Stamkos let rip the other night after one of their losses I mean, they lost to the Senators for Christ's sake in their last game Something at some point I think is either going to give, and whether that means a coaching change or some kind of, of trade, or something else is just going to click. And all of a sudden they're going to be like, Jesus, guys, you know, look around this room, look at the team we've got, look at what we could achieve. And it's just going to like flick like a light switch and they're going to fly. Uh, and I just kind of, this rough start, that playoff loss, this rough start, I just, like I say, either someone's going to click or someone's going to give. But one way or the other, I think they're going to get the boot up their ass and fly. And it's going to be their year. Hmm. I hope so. I, I hope they get a good run. I, I think it'll be interesting to watch. They've got all the right pieces, haven't they? Let's see if it all comes. Sometimes that's not how life goes. But hey. Um, Getting Braden point back is big for them, I think. More mm. than everybody knew he was good, but I'm not sure people quite appreciated how good to the, the first few games of this year when he was absent. So I mm-hmm. think that's big for them. Yeah, Paul, are you are you are you not going to put a name? I I just can't. I just can't. It's it's not like it's not like I want to be proven wrong at any point, but it's just it's impossible to say. Could it be uh, the Hurricanes? I'd like that more than anybody, but um, <laughs> I, again, uh, right? Okay, I'll see. I'll see the Hurricanes. Okay. No one else will. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Someone's going to represent. I don't think that's necessarily a bad answer, though. You know, I don't think that any of us would be like completely. Oh my god, are you kidding me? If if like we'd, someone had said this time last year, St. Louis Blues. So well, you've got it, it again, in you. It's like you said, like last last season. If you said either St. Louis or the Carolina Hurricanes, given the start of the year, would they be in their conference finals? You probably would have said no, but there they were. Well, there we go. It's been great chatting to you both. Thank you so much for your time. Um, And I hope to catch up with you uh, a little bit later in the season. We'll see how Tampa and Carolina are faring then. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) I think they'll both be doing all right. They're not too wild guesses. Um, Someone, uh, who was it? Matt last week said Buffalo, which uh, none of us knew what to say to that, but they're not doing necessarily the worst start to the season. so. So fun to watch right now. Yeah. so much fun well you know maybe there's something in it we'll see we'll see but um, if you're listening to this and you have a story to tell us as a fan then please get in contact uh, Twitter 
and um and a gmail account as well the best ways to do it and um next week we're back i've accidentally uh scheduled uh the stanley cup final 2019 clash of fans uh, which gave me a little bit of slight joy so we're talking uh bruins and blues next week uh but keep in touch in the meantime subscribe and follow and all that jazz thanks rob and thanks paul as well thank you you're welcome thank you